What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? You're listening to This Week in Sports. It is Saturday, August 27th, 2022. And I'm your host, as always, The Pody, back with another Saturday episode. Um, I wanted to get an episode out yesterday, but I just was really tired. I had a bad headache. Played a round of golf yesterday. Not my best. Uh, actually, one of my worst I've played in a while. I had a lot of pars, though, so that was okay, but I finished poorly on on 18. But anyway, um, between that, um, Madden coming out, MLB The Show, which, by the way, shout out uh, to Scrawns, who listens to this. He ended my streak at 11 games although I will call a little BS because he had me up in uh, Toronto playing in the rain and I lost 2 nothing. I thought I hit a two-run game-tying home run in like the eighth inning with uh, Jose Trevino, but he, he did the whole bat flip and everything and it was fouled by like a foot. And then in the ninth with two outs, I roped one oppo with Matt Carpenter that uh, didn't quite get up and out and it was caught to end the game. Um, but then I did come back yesterday I played a game um after golf um and it was tight into the 11th inning and I had Tim LaCastro on third base with two outs and he threw a pitch in the dirt it trickled away from the catcher and I friggin came home and I beat the throw home and I won in 11 innings so I'm starting the streak over so 12 out of 13 ain't too shabby I'm one back of Brian in the standings and the way we do our standings the more games you play, um, the better your your rank is, or whatever. So technically, I'm I'm actually in first place, and then they reseed for playoffs and such. But so I'll try to get some more uh, of the show in today. There's also, let's see, uh, college football is debuting today. Okay. Uh, we have some games early on. Nebraska's playing Northwestern. Uh, there's just games all over the map. So. I'm going to try to make this as quickly as possible because there's a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. And so without further ado, let's jump right in. Okay, we're going to start with some college football news. Nick Saban had himself a week. The Alabama coach signed a $93.6 million contract extension, making him the highest paid coach in college football. No surprise there. The record deal will pay him, oh, $11.7 million a year. What's even crazier is he is now the sixth coach in college football in the last nine months to sign for nine mil plus annually. This comes after last week's Big Ten TV deal worth $8 billion that I told you guys about. And on top of million dollar NIL deals that keep popping up seemingly every week, players are becoming millionaires in college before they ever take a snap. Just look at Miami quarterback Jaden Rashada, for example, the four-star recruit and number seven quarterback in the 2023 class, agreed to a $9.5 million NIL deal with Miami booster John Ruiz 
and even turned down an $11 million offer from Florida's Gator Collective. Oh, my God. His agent actually said what Florida is doing with their collective is the messiest and worst uh, thing in the country, and he is steering every one of his players away from Florida. So I don't know what's going on with Florida, but th this is just insanity. He hasn't taken a snap, and he gets a $9.5 million NIL deal. Uh, I mean, set for life. Like, it, it, it's incredible what's going on in college football. So if you want to become a millionaire, get in this game, get in it fast, and get on the train because it is not slowing down at all. I mean, it's just insane. Uh, before we move on, I'll give you some quick some quick scores. Western Kentucky, Austin, PA, it's 10-7. Nebraska's up 7-0 against Northwestern. Nebraska uh, is going to be a good team this year. Scott Frost, um, you know, he, he's going to have them boys uh, rocking and rolling. They got the transfer quarterback from, from Texas. They should be okay. You've got North Carolina and Florida A&M. I don't know if anybody heard about this, but this game was not supposed to take place. It's really two years in the making. This is uh, going to be on the ACC network tonight at 8.15, but a couple years in the making, they knew they were supposed to play each other. Florida A&M tried to back out, apparently, because they have like almost 30 players ineligible, only about seven offensive linemen. But in the end, I guess they put it out to a vote and the players are like, no, we want to play. Well, the spread is up to 45, 45 points. I cannot justify this. A few years ago, I, I was taking um, anybody that played Rutgers. I was taking those spreads and I took one that was like 42 and a half with an Ohio State game. It didn't even hit, not even close. So the play here would be Florida A&M. Um, I know they're, they're, they're you know, they're undermanned significantly, but you put a team like that in a situation like this in the opening weekend of college football, a little bit of rust showing uh, Mac Brown's teams kind of get off to slow starts. You, the play, you cannot justify betting North Carolina. They'd have to win 45, nothing or 55 to, to, to seven. Like they, they cannot, there's no way that it's very possible, but it's one of those games I'm betting Florida A&M or I'm not touching it at all. Um, so let's see. Any big, big, big games? You got Illinois, Wyoming. That's a big 10 game. Illinois is favored by 14. Um, Florida State, Duquesne, nothing, nothing really there. Um. Utah State uh, is playing UConn. Here's an interesting one. So Utah State is big-time favorites in this game, and next week they'll go to Alabama, and they will be significant underdogs. It's a spread uh, differential of 66 points, which I just saw would be the, the biggest differential in two weeks pretty much ever. Um, it's just incredible. Uh, an incredible stat. So when I saw that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. So they will be, um, 26 and a half point favorites today that this was as of two hours ago. So the line probably changed and 39 and a half point underdogs at Alabama, 66 point swing is the largest for any team playing consecutive FBS opponents since 1999. Just incredible. Incredible. All right. So I'm not going to, there's yeah. All right. Let's move on.
Okay, the Lakers made an interesting trade. They traded for another point guard in Patrick Beverly, the vet. Uh, they will send Talon Horton Tucker to Utah in exchange for Pat Beverly. If you didn't know this, Pat Beverly was traded to Utah in July, so he hasn't even played for Utah. And this was during uh, in that historic Rudy Gobert trade where they sent them like a million first-round picks as well. 34-year-old veteran is coming off. I, I mean, we know what Pat Bev is, right? He He's a... Uh, He's a runaround defensive guy, talks a lot of trash. He's coming off a season in which he averaged 9.2 points, 4.6 assists, 4.1 rebounds, and 1.2 steals across 58 appearances. This is where it gets interesting, though, because there is zero love lost between Pat Beverly and his now teammate, Russell Westbrook. This all stems from the 2013 playoffs, if you can remember all the way back, when Westbrook dribbled up past midcourt towards his bench, was about to call timeout, he pulled up and Pat Beverly ran over because he was a young kid, you know, at that point. And he tried to steal the ball and he runs into Westbrook's knee. Westbrook was pissed. He starts slamming the scorer's table. He ended up tearing his meniscus and missed the rest of that playoffs. Um, then after a 2019 game against the Rockets, Westbrook told reporters that Beverly doesn't actually play defense, but just runs around doing nothing. Many are speculating that the addition of Beverly could spell the end for Westbrook. We'll just have to wait and see um, if these two play together or not. But there is zero love lost between the two. Beverly has been on J.J. Uh, Reddick's podcast in the past, and he said that really destroyed his reputation because people would yell and scream that, oh, he just yells and screams and, and runs around and, and doesn't do anything and he's not that good and all this good stuff. So. We'll see. I still think the Lakers are a bit of a mess, but Magic Johnson tweeted out he loves the addition of Patrick Beverly, and Beverly responded, it's all love here, whatever. So we'll see what's going on with Russell Westbrook and the Lakers and if if they, if they Beverly really is his replacement or not. Uh, speaking of the Lakers, Vanessa Bryant was awarded $16 million in the Kobe Bryant crash photo lawsuit. So if you can remember back to 2020 when this uh, disaster occurred in the helicopter crash, there were L.A. County sheriffs as well as fire and rescue personnel, at least eight of them, that started snapping photos of the dead bodies, which is just totally disturbing. Um I'm not some naive idiot that is going to sit here and tell you that police officers and whatnot don't snap photos of crime scenes and different things like that. But this one, it, it's disturbing. You're snapping photos of of teen, of young girls, you know, of mothers, of celebrities. It's just disturbing, and it's not something that I I would think to do. And um, so basically she took them to trial and said it was a total invasion of privacy and it just destroyed her emotionally. So L.A. County was ordered to pay uh, Vanessa Bryant over the photos taken at the scene. And Chris Chester as well, who lost his wife and daughter in the crash, was awarded 15 million. So to recap, Vanessa Bryant was awarded 16 million damages and Chris Chester was awarded 15 million. The verdict actually came on August 24th, which is one day after Kobe's birthday. So there's some justice there. And it just so happened to be the day that Los Angeles was celebrating Kobe Bryant because 8-24, August 24th, 
they're celebrating him that day. It's significant because he wore both the numbers eight and 24 in his career. So that's kind of cool there. A nice little tribute um, there. Not that she was hurting for money or anything, but writing that wrong for sure. All right. The greatest tennis player of our generation, in my opinion, he's bowing out of the U.S. Open, or at least the greatest player right now. Um, that's debate. But uh, the Joker, Djokovic, 35-year-old confirmed that he will not participate in the U.S. Open because he is unvaccinated against COVID-19 and is unable to travel to the U.S. Now, I'm saying he's the greatest player because he just came off a win at Wimbledon last month, his 21st Grand Slam, and he could have been in front of the U.S. crowd one shy of Rafael Nadal's men's record for most uh, Grand Slams ever. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, there's debate if Nadal's the best or whatever, but Nadal's dealing with, you know, health issues. He's getting up there in age, et cetera, et cetera. He's probably the greatest on clay for sure. So what are we doing here? We're depriving ourselves of one of the greatest tennis players of all time over a virus that is gone. People, from what I'm understanding, scientists and experts are more scared of uh, uh, monkeypox right now than COVID. I work in a school. All the protocols are gone. No masking. If you're exposed to COVID-19, the protocols are the same now. If whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, you don't need to test weekly if you're unvaccinated. Like this thing is going away and you're telling me they're not going to let Djokovic come to the United States because he's unvaccinated. So a, an athlete in peak performance who could run circles around any of us because realistically you have to be in insane amounts of shape to run around for hours on end on a tennis court. It's absurd what they go through and put their bodies through. Peak physical health. He's probably going to be in a hotel room and getting driven back and forth to Arthur Ashe Stadium, having minimal interaction. Okay, some reporters, this, that, players, you know, whatever. But he's not, he's going to have minimal interaction with people. He's there on a business trip to win a major tournament and oh, can't come to the U.S. It, it's just, it, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. I'm over it. COVID is gone. Like, let, let, what are we doing? Do you know the storyline that would have been if he wins on U.S. soil and ties Nadal's record? It would have been amazing. It would have been great. And now we're depriving ourselves of that. And we'll have to wait till the next tournament that's, uh, you know, not in the United States. Okay, uh, I want to talk about this kid, O'Neill Cruz, for just a second. O'Neill Cruz, if you don't know, he's the shortstop on the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he is the, you know, lone bright star, if you will, on a Pirates team that is just absolutely terrible. Um, and it's it's something that he is going to uh, be remembered for because he now, in a short period of time, I believe he has played in less than 60 games in his career, um, and he has two records to his name. Take a listen to this one from just the other day. Wax it to right field. That is going to hit hard off the wall. Look at that. Bounce right back to Acuna, who barehands it off the wall in a split second. 122.4 miles an hour. Wow. 
That is a missile. That sure was. That was loud. Unfortunately, just didn't quite have the launch angle to tie this thing up. Listen to this. I mean, the ball exploded off his bat. It's like I'm glad it it stayed in the ballpark and hit the wall because if this went into the stands, somebody was going to get hurt. O'Neill Cruz now has the hardest hit ball ever in the Statcast era and the hardest throw from shortstop ever at just over 100 miles an hour. The kid is a phenom. He's going to be in the league for years to come. And the hardest hit ball in the Statcast era. We're talking John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. John Carlos Stanton who, mind you, has pretty much the entire top five or so of hardest hit balls in StatCast era. And now this kid, O'Neill Cruz, has just surpassed him. So it's incredible, incredible. And speaking of Aaron Judge, he belted home run number 49 last night. They put the comparison of him next to Roger Maris and threw the exact same number of games. Maris is just one up. So if Judge has a multi-home run game here or there, uh, he's, he's incredibly close to breaking the American League record and Yankee record for most home runs ever. So um, that yeah, there, there's that. After he went on a drought of nine games without hitting a home run, he's starting to homer more and more in the last few few games here. So, uh, yeah, it's incredible. But this kid, O'Neill Cruz, is just a freaking phenom, and he is like an absolute beast, somebody to keep an eye on. Okay, some disappointing news. Not going to say I'm all that surprised just because of his, his build, but the number two overall pick, uh, by the Oklahoma City Thunder, Chet Holmgren has been ruled out for the upcoming and his basically his rookie season. The uh, he suffered a Liz Frank injury at Jamal Crawford's Cross Over Pro. Excuse me, it's called Cross Over, like crawfish. Cross Over Pro Am in Seattle last weekend. The event featured the likes of LeBron James, Jason Tatum, and uh, Dejounte Murray. So before you say, what the hell is he doing playing in a pro-am? Yeah, there were some big-time names participating as well. The game was actually, this is interesting, the game was called in the second quarter because of what they were deeming unsafe court conditions due to humidity. Uh, There's no indication, however, that those conditions caused his injury. Look, he's about 7'4", whatever size he is. He's got big feet. He can dribble, you know, for a big man, he can shoot it. But that type of body, when anytime you're over seven feet, your knees, your feet, like Brooke Lopez, as good as he was early on in his career with the Nets, he was always getting hurt. It was always his feet. He would always hurt his foot and then he'd be out for, for a year here or there. But when he was on the court, friggin' phenom. And now he's been able to uh, get a second wind, if you will, with the Milwaukee Bucks. So we'll see. Chet Holmgren, um, he's still going to be a good player. He should. The the crazy thing is they're saying, I actually read this last night with this type of injury. They're saying that he won't be 100% until next December. So we're not talking Christmas coming up in like five months. We're talking the following December is when he will officially be back to like 100%. So we might not see him even debut until that point. So this is like, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid missing their entire rookie seasons plus. Um, it's a big blow to Oklahoma City, so they're going to have another top pick because they're going to be bad yet again. 
and sticking with the NBA, probably the biggest news to come out this week. The most exciting news for me and fellow Nets fans is that Kevin Durant is staying put in Brooklyn. Yes, the news came out Tuesday. If you can't tell how excited I am, the Nets tweeted out a statement from Sean Marks saying that he, Joe Sy and his wife, as well as Steve Nash, all met with Kevin Durant and his partner slash agent, Rich Kleiman, and agreed to move forward with their partnership. So let's back this up a bit. Kevin Durant's trade request lasted officially 54 days and produced exactly zero real trade options for Brooklyn. So great job for Brooklyn. They called his bluff, essentially. They they held pat. They stuck to their guns, and it worked. So what I will say is thank you, thank you, thank you to the Minnesota Timberwolves because that absurd package that they gave Utah for Rudy Gobert really upped the asking price for Kevin Durant, therefore making it impossible for any team to be able to trade for Kevin Durant. So thank you, excuse me, Minnesota. So uh, again, now that the Nets, now the Nets can, uh, you know, hopefully move forward with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving playing in a contract year, looking for an extension. So, you know, he's going to come ready, be coming ready to ball. And of course, Ben Simmons, those three at the core to go along with a solid cast of Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, you know, uh, Nick Claxton, et cetera. It's going to be a team that can absolutely contend for a championship. Let's just hope that there's no turmoil or tension between Steve Nash or, or Sean Marks and, and Durant and Kyrie and these boys, because Durant said it's me or it's them in and them meaning Marks and Steve Nash. So we'll wait and see what happens. But this team absolutely will need a little bit of time to gel. But as long as they can stay healthy, the Nets are going to be able to make a run. Joe Harris was a huge... Nobody realizes how big of a loss Joe Harris was last year. The Nets still could have had a chance in those playoffs if they had Joe Harris. And let's be real, they still had a chance. Game one, they let slip away. They let Jason Tatum score at the buzzer. There was another game in that series, whether it was game three or four, I don't remember, that they should have also won. So they got swept, but it was way closer than it than it, than it seems. And with a, Joe, a healthy Joe Harris, I think this team is a serious problem. They probably have the deadliest three-point shooting team in the NBA, um, not named the Golden State Warriors. So... We'll see what happens. The East is going to be a problem, and the Nets are very much so going to be able to contend. I am for sure um, satisfied with making that statement. The Nets will contend. And this is actually much like Kobe Bryant, who requested a trade way back in 2007. That one also never really amounted to anything, so he stayed put. The Lakers made a commitment to him. They went out. They got themselves Pau Gasol. Uh, developed Andrew Bynum out of high school. And it didn't affect their relationship because they ended up winning back-to-back titles in 09 and 10. So hopefully that could happen here with the Nets as well. All right, this seems like it it, it happened forever ago, but the Yankees and Mets played a two-game Subway series. The Yankees ended up sweeping that series, and Aaron Judge for uh, those two games hit home runs in back-to-back nights. The Yankees got to Max Scherzer, um, which was nice. Um, But yeah, Judge hitting home run number 48 off Scherzer. He almost hit another one later in the game. Um, 
But as I said a few minutes ago or a little while ago, Judge's homerless streak was at nine games. That was a drought of nine games. So this one being his uh, 47th and 48th on Monday and Tuesday, he hit his 48th off Taiwan Walker. His 47th was off Scherzer the day before that. He's now homered in four consecutive starts against Taiwan Walker. So he just seems to have his number. That blast went a ridiculous over 450 feet. It was just smoke, uh, just a smoke, smoke shot. Um, he was on pace for 63 home runs as of like Tuesday. Then, of course, last night he hit the go-ahead three-run homer against the Oakland A's. Yankees then held on three to two in that game. Um, look, the the Mets. I'm not gonna sit here and say that the Mets are in trouble, but the Mets are kind of in trouble. They're doing their thing. They gotta they gotta win last night. Um, I think in the 11th inning, but they're just barely two games up on the Braves. They're gonna make the playoffs either way, whether it's via a division win or a wild card game, we'll see, or series, we'll see. But not going to sit here and say it's panic time just yet. And for the Yankees, after last night and beating the Mets, uh, they've now won five in a row. So we can hopefully forget about, you know, that that poor streak where they were like four and 14 in August. And ever since Aaron Boone slammed his fist on the table, they've been doing nothing but winning. So, uh, yeah. Okay, here's an interesting one. Uh, the Angels. It came out this week that Art Moreno, the owner of the team, announced that he is exploring selling the team. Here's a direct quote. Although this difficult decision was entirely our choice and deserved a great deal of thoughtful consideration, my family and I have ultimately come to the conclusion that now is the time. This 76-year-old took control of the team in 2003 paying $185 million less than a year after the Angels won their only World Series. Excuse me, he paid $185 million for the franchise, yeah, just a year after they won their only World Series. So the previous owners were like, yep, we just won our first World Series, I'm capitalizing and I'm selling this team. So... He's not going to be hurting. It's been eight years since the Angels last went to the playoffs. But guess what? The team is still valued at over $2 billion. So Moreno will definitely take a sizable profit. Um, but what does this mean for the futures of Shohei Otani and Mike Trout? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Otani is probably gone for sure. He's a year away from free agency, is going to command an insane contract. Even if the Angels and new ownership can afford him, Otani won't stay simply because the Angels just aren't a good enough team. Now, Mike Trout is still considered the best player in baseball and has never been to the playoffs. So a new owner will likely come in and trade Otani rather than lose him for nothing. And with Trout, it's going to be interesting. Does a new owner come in and ask him if he wants to be traded or does Trout request a trade or does he stay put? I'm assuming he's going to probably stay put, but you just never know with new ownership. Um, And it is worth noting that a deal for Moreno to purchase Angel Stadium and the land around it fell through amid an FBI investigation into the former Anaheim mayor who facilitated it. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that a new owner could potentially move the team to another city. And then there is the fact that the Angels are being sued for wrongful death 
by the family of former pitcher Tyler Skaggs. And not to mention the Nationals are also up for sale. So this could take a while as potential buyers may be tied up with the sale of the Nationals right now and bidding on that team. So it's going to be a while. I don't expect anything in the coming months or maybe even it might take six to eight, nine, ten months for anything of, of, you know, note or traction to take place. But just something to keep an eye on for next season. Okay, let's talk Fernando Tatis. He made his first public appearance since he was handed that 80-game suspension. He talked, uh, spoke to reporters from the dugout. He was wearing like a red polo. Uh, the audio was really bad, so I can't play it for you. It was like about two minutes. But basically, he said that he was truly sorry and failed the Padres, their fans, his family, and his country. He also revealed that he will undergo surgery on his left shoulder and remain in San Diego for most of the offseason. Now, I know last season when he was playing, he had issues with the shoulder separating or or popping out, and they were gonna, they said he was going to need surgery eventually. But it also came out yesterday that Adidas actually pulled their sponsorship on their partnership with Fernando Tatis. So he just lost that amid this scandal as well. So um, for Tatis, what he needs to do, if I could give him some friendly advice, just go into hiding, work on you, continue to get healthy, um, work on baseball, stay out of the limelight, and people will slowly forget. And then you come back next year with a vengeance and you do what you do best and people will support you because everybody loves a comeback story. Everybody. Okay. Um, let's see. Last week, I spoke about or reported that many of the game's top golfers led by Tiger Woods had uh, held a meeting to discuss what to do essentially about, about live golf. Well, we now have our answer. So Tiger and Rory are forming... TMRW or Tomorrow Sports, a new company focused on building technology uh, focused ventures that feature progressive approaches to sports, media, and entertainment. The new company will reportedly feature one day events held in partnership with the PGA Tour, set to launch in two years, so 2024. The league, as it's being called, will blend golf with technology as well as team elements. It will consist of six teams of three PGA Tour members playing 15 Monday night matches. Yeah, I wonder where they got this whole team thing because that's exactly what the live circuit is doing. It makes it more fun. It's less competitive, you know. In addition to this new venture, the PGA also announced announced higher purses and new schedules. The top players have committed to at least a 20-event schedule and the PIP or players... Players Impact Program that awards athletes based on performance, um, excuse me, and off-course measurements of success will be doubled to award $100 million across 20 of the top players and a guaranteed league minimum of $500,000 per player. Corn Ferry Tour category and above, that's like the minor leagues, will be implemented. There will also be an increase to 12 elevated events for top competitors and a travel stipend for certain guys as well. So here's what I will say about this all. None of this happens without Live Golf. So all these PGA Tour pros should be on their feet kissing the Live Golf players because if these guys don't go to Live Golf, if there's not the competitive the competition of a Live Golf, none of this happens on the PGA Tour. So this is the whole point that these live golfers are making that you need competition in order 
to have advancement and in order to get what you want. There's still probably a long way to go, and I don't think this by any means will affect live golf, but it's great for a go- you know a golf fan such as myself. It really is because guess what? More golf equals more entertainment, and the more golf, the better. So if you're a golf fan, this is great for the sport as a whole. Okay, 2023 MLB schedules sort of came out. So they made the announcement for the first time, every team will play every other team at least once. So this is part of the CBA signed last winter, so we sort of knew this was coming. Teams will play 52 games, half at home, half on the road, against teams in their division, which is down from 76 this season. That includes 13 games, which is over four series against each team, a decrease of six games and two series. Teams will play 64 games against other opponents within their own league, evenly split, home and away, which is down from 66 this season. Interleague play will make up 46 games, an increase from 20 this season. So every team will play one home and every team will play one home and home interleague series over four games against its natural rivals. So think uh, Yankees and Mets, think White Sox and Cubs, you know, Dodgers, Angels like that. Late last week, it was announced, uh, excuse me. So yeah, um, this was announced, I think earlier this week, not late last week, but it's very interesting. It, what, what's cool about this is, so if you live, say, in Pittsburgh, right, and you're not really close to any other stadiums or anything, so you only go to Pittsburgh Pirate Games, and you're always waiting for them to play the Yankees, which maybe it's not every single year, and tickets are hard to come by. Well, now you're, you're going to get to see them play the Yankees. They're going to play every team in baseball. So your home team is playing every team in baseball. So if you've never seen Mike Trout play, you can get tickets to that Angels game without having to go, you know, to to Los Angeles or without having to go somewhere else. So it's a really cool concept. You can see some of the best stars in the game. And this is all, you know, Major League Baseball's ploy to try to engage with the younger audience and build up their stars because baseball is the one sport that if you saw Mike Trout or... I don't know, um, besides like an Aaron Judge or, or somebody like that, if you saw some of these big-time stars just walking down the street, most people wouldn't know who they are. But if, you know, but in basketball, if you see Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or LeBron James, like, you know who these stars are. Or Anthony Day, like, you know who they are. But in baseball, they're, they're never really advertised. That You don't see them all over the internet. And that's part of the problem why baseball is a dying sport. So it's a good ploy, and I actually like the idea a lot. So we'll see what to make of this come next season. All right, let's talk about the World Baseball Classic because it is back. Um, Cool. It's very cool. Uh, Mark DeRosa was actually announced he will be making his coaching debut next spring as manager of Team USA at the World Baseball Classic. DeRosa played for eight different teams throughout his 16-year career. He was a very good player. Uh, We've just learned that a couple of former big leaguers will be joining his staff, making their coaching debuts as well. And these are big-time names. We're talking Ken Griffey Jr. and Andy Pettit. 
They will serve as hitting and pitching coaches, respectively. They will be joined rounding out the coaching staff by bench coach Jerry Manuel, first base coach Lou Collier, third base coach Dino Ebel, and bullpen coach Dave Rigetti. I believe Lou Collier's son was just drafted in the first round of this uh, June, uh, this past um, draft. So, and yeah, so that's a solid, solid coaching um, staff right there for sure. Team USA is looking to repeat as champs. So, um, yeah, no pressure there, Mark. They defeated Puerto Rico 8 nothing in the last iteration of the tournament back in 2017. So, we'll see what happens in the spring. Okay, Tom Brady is back in camp with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The seven-time Super Bowl champ returned to practice Monday, which was right after that Tennessee game. So, just as Todd Bowles first suggested he would be back. He also had some fun in debunking the theory that he was, in fact, on The Masked Singer. Brady tweeted that he wasn't on the show but was out shooting promos for his clothing company's underwear line. But in all seriousness, apparently, he was on vacation with his family, something that he claims was decided upon before he unretired, which seems a bit weird. So who really knows where he was? Maybe he was doing The Masked Singer. I don't know. But, um... Todd Bowles did announce the 45-year-old will start in the team's final preseason game today. And sadly, last night, um, I'll get into this now, the the Panthers named Baker Mayfield their starting quarterback for week one. Um, and here was Baker talking about that decision. You had a busy day today. Walk us through finding out that you were the starter and um, just going into practice. If you had a conversation with Sam, yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, Sam and I knew this day was gonna eventually come, um, but we weren't counting down the days. We didn't know when it was gonna happen or anything like that. So just just this morning, uh, was made aware that I was gonna be starting and uh, saw Sam shortly after. He made it very clear that anything I needed in support or. In terms of that aspect, he was going to be there. That just that just shows what kind of team guy he is. Um, honestly, just an unfortunate circumstance that we're both here in the same year fighting for a job. But uh, that's the kind of guy he is. He said, "Whatever you need in support, he's just trying to win games," and that's the mentality we've had the whole time. So I truly, truly appreciate that, and he's a, he's a great guy. Um. So yeah, there you have it. There's Baker talking about being named starting quarterback. Then, unfortunately, last night. He, he got the start, played pretty well, and then Sam Darnold came in, and I hate to say it, but Sam Darnold, he ran in for one touchdown, was doing decent, and then it looked like he broke his ankle. He got tackled, his leg got pinned under him, it bent awkwardly, it was a scary scene, he had to be carted off. I'm just Googling this now because I forgot to look into this more this morning when I woke up, but miraculously... I thought it was a dislocation slash ankle break. You name it. It looked significantly worse than what they're saying. They're saying that uh, this was against Buffalo last night. It was a left ankle injury late in the third quarter. And a league source said Darnold suffered a high ankle sprain and will undergo an MRI on Saturday morning to determine the severity of it. Such injuries typically require four to six weeks. of. This isn't if he got away with just a high ankle sprain. This is miraculous because in four to six weeks, he could heal up. That's a little over a month or two months. And it's going to be interesting because 
There's no Matt Corral. He's got a Liz Frank injury. He's out for the year. So Darnold is technically the backup. Uh, so now I guess that elevates P.J. Washington, uh, or excuse me, P.J. Walker, who was on this team last year. I don't know if he has even been in the mix, but I would imagine. Um, so whether the Panthers decide to trade Darnold or not, if there's a team out there that's willing to trade for him, we'll see what happens. But I am I'm shocked that Darnold only has a high ankle sprain. And of course, the MRI will reveal if there's any ligament damage or anything like that. So it's just a wait and see game right now. But yeah, that was a scary injury last night. And um, I was going to talk about this later, but while we're on this Buffalo game, we might as well stick with it. They were without their punt god, uh, rookie punter Matt Ariza. So let me go down and find this because I did. uh, No, maybe I didn't talk about it or put it in my notes. But Matt Ariza, ladies and gentlemen, um, from San Diego State University, he won the Ray Guy Award for for the nation's top punter last year, even though um, the kid from Rutgers was really snubbed. But anyway, there is a, it came out this week that there is a lawsuit or, you know, he's being accused while he was at San Diego State, um, him as well as um, three, I believe, former San Diego State football players. They're being accused of gang raping a 17-year-old, I guess, at a party sometime last year while he was at San Diego State. So they decided to have him sit out this game and not play. Now, apparently the Bills knew about this weeks ago and they still elected to cut their punter from last year. So this is interesting. And according to the rules and all, all sorts of stuff, personal conduct policy and, and things of that nature, Ariza cannot be actually suspended by the league because this is not something that happened while he was in the league. This was while he was at San Diego State. And the only disciplinary action that could come would be if the Bills decided to, you know, do something internally there. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, it, it's 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 obviously something serious. These are serious allegations. There are photos that have surfaced showing bruising that's apparently caused by Matt Ariza and his teammates during this uh, gang rape of the 17-year-old. Um, so lawyers for a teenage girl who has accused at least three former and current San Diego State football players, including one who is now an NFL player, of course, we know that being Matt Ariza, of raping her at an off-campus party in 2021. First of all, I want to know what a 17-year-old girl is doing at an off-campus San Diego State party. That is just asking for disaster. Like, where are her parents? Why is she at this party? Keep an eye on your kids like that. This is something that needs to be addressed. But um, photos and videos show bruising on the then 17 year old girl's neck and legs, according to her attorney, who said they were taken last October in the days following the incident at a house less than a mile from campus. Um, let's see. OK, Ariza is accused in a lawsuit of having sex with a girl whom he knew was a high school student. Well, that's even worse if he knew that she was only 17 and underage. This is all, you know, it's going to come out. We'll know in the coming days, weeks, et cetera, what's going to happen. Um, but. 
I don't know. I mean, there's photos and there's evidence, but can they do anything because this was over a year, a year old? It, it, it's going to be shady. So, so we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. I'll report back if uh, next. Well, no, I won't be able to. I won't be. Uh, I won't have an episode next week, unfortunately, but I'll tell you a bit more about that later. But yeah, so that was developing last night. Matt Ariza did not play in the preseason finale. We move on. Let's talk Dodgers. Walker Bueller underwent Tommy John surgery and will not only miss the rest of this season, but likely will miss the entirety of next season as well, because this will be his second Tommy John surgery, which although he can come back from this, no problem nowadays with Tommy John surgery being his second, it takes some more recovery. But have no fear, Dodgers fans. You are the best team in baseball for a reason. The Dodgers lost Bueller, but they gained back young fire thrower Dustin May, who nearly 15 months since his own Tommy John surgery hurled a five-inning one-hitter with nine strikeouts. Oh, and by the way, the Dodgers just extended Max Muncy through next season, who's having a phenomenal August. Uh, his club option for next season at $13.5 million was guaranteed, and now he has a club option for 2024 at $10 million plus incentives. So there you go. Let's talk some FedEx Cup. Patrick Cantley became the first golfer to defend a title at a FedEx Cup playoffs event, winning the BMW Championship. Cantley shot 14 under, besting Scott Stallings by one stroke, and world number one Scotty Scheffler tied for third at 11 under. And more importantly, the tournament set the stage for the third and final event, the Tour Championship, which I believe is going on right now. Let's see. Get you some updated standings on that. Here we go. The Tour Championship, because today is Saturday, so that should be going on. Let's back it up here. Yes. Okay. Scotty Scheffler is two strokes up. They don't tee off until about three o'clock. And Xander Shoffley is in second at 17 under. Then Rom is at 13 under. So it's a big drop off. And Cantley's there tied for fourth at 12 under. So uh, Scotty Scheffler is the man to beat there. Keep an eye on that if you're a golf fan. Okay. Next up, let's talk about uh, Udonis Haslam. He will sign a new deal with the Heat, or he already has by now, signed a new deal with the Heat and will return for, yes, his 20th season. He will join Kobe Bryant and Dirk as the only NBA players to spend 20-plus seasons with one team. Miami gave the 42-year-old the option to return if he was interested. Haslam started, if you remember back to those championship runs with LeBron and Bosh and Wade, he started 52 of 66 postseason games during those title runs in 2006, 12, and 13. It's just absolutely incredible uh, that he's returning for his 20th season with one team. Wow. Just insane. Okay, next up, a couple of things. Um, there was a joint practice between the Bengals and the Rams, and it got heated and they had to end practice early video shows Aaron Donald swinging two, not one, but two helmets. And he did connect with somebody, um, in that skirmish, but they had a helmet on. So I, you know, because it was practice, I don't think there's going to be any discipline that comes of that. Um, but we'll see. Um, some news, Jets and Giants will play uh, in their preseason finale, I believe, tomorrow. 
Let me just see if I have that correct. Yep, that will be tomorrow at 1 p.m. I'll be missing that because I'm playing golf at 1 p.m. with my dad and brother. Um, and speaking of the Jets, Denzel Mims has officially asked for a trade. He has requested a trade. It's not surprising. Uh, he hasn't been able to get on the field since he was drafted. The Jets don't want to trade him because it looks very bad on Joe Douglas. That was his second round pick, and he hasn't been able to get on the field since he's been drafted. And all they do is praise the guy and say this about him and that about him, and he's so good and yada, yada, yada. And all, it's all fluff. They're trying to get a trade. at. They're trying to get somebody to trade for him, like a six-round pick. It, it's pointless because I don't trust the Jets to turn a six-round pick into anything positive anyway. They can't turn a second or a first-round pick into anything. So there's that to keep an eye on. Um, and then Len Dawson, of course, passed away. The uh, longtime uh, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback who famously had that you know picture at the Super Bowl where he's smoking a heater um, at halftime. I think I spoke a couple weeks ago how he was on hospice care and he wasn't doing well. So he officially passed away. So RIP to a legend. Um, let's see anything else. Okay. The Seahawks named Geno Smith as their week one starting quarterback. That's incredible. Um, let's see. Atlanta Braves had to place Jackson Stevens on the seven day IL after he was hit in the head by a line drive. He's a reliever for the team. He has a concussion. He was hit in the side of the head last night. He walked off the field in the ninth inning against the Cardinals, but was taken to a hospital for testing. Let's see. Uh, Brendan Donovan was the one that blistered the line drive that struck him in the right temple. The ball ricocheted into shallow right field for an RBI single. Uh, yeah, very scary. That's pretty scary. Um, let's see. Oh, Barry Sanders' son joins Michigan State basketball, men's basketball team, as a walk-on. That's pretty cool. Uh, Nicholas... Let's see. Nicholas Sanders, listed at five foot nine, hundred seventy pounds, attended Detroit County Day School, where he wore number twenty three. Over the summer, Barry Sanders made an appearance at a Michigan State basketball practice, where he chatted with the team as Nicholas was considering his college options. Let's see. Okay, not much there. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's college football on all day. Nebraska's currently up 14-3 to on Northwestern. Western Kentucky's beating Austin PA, 21-10. to Florida State plays at 5 o'clock. North Carolina, FAMU game, like I said. Um, so next week, I want to let you guys know, uh, next week I will not be able to uh, do an episode it's Labor Day weekend. I am busy doing chains at a high school football game Friday night. And then Saturday, me and a couple of my buddies are going to upstate New York. And we're going to hang out for the weekend. We have our fantasy football draft. You know, just going to chill, have a chill weekend up there at an Airbnb. And, um, and then I'll be back sometime Monday. So I won't have an episode next week, but I'll have one in two weeks. So sorry about that. But things happen and you know fantasy football that draft will be on sunday that's going to take precedence over everything 
So looking forward to that, all the trash talk that comes with it. So yeah, so that's why I won't be able to have do an episode next week. Uh, now for our final segment, as always, on this date in sports. It's another Tiger Woods on this date in sports. August 27th, 1995, Tiger Woods won the 95th U.S. Amateur, successfully defending his title by topping Buddy Marucci at Newport, Rhode Island Country Club. Woods, who three-peated in 96, is the last golfer to repeat at the event. Okay, uh, I believe that's going to wrap it up. Like I said, you've got college football on. You've got NFL preseason finales, um, Hard Knocks. I just watched the third and most recent episode. It's been really good. I'm loving me some Dan Campbell. I'm loving me uh, some Deuce Staley, some Aaron Glenn. All those guys have been amazing. Uh, you love the storylines, too, of like the lesser-known players that are on the cusp trying to make the team. There's a guy from uh, Nigeria, this guy they call Easy, who played at Memphis. He's only been in the States for a handful of years, only been playing football for like seven years. So it's just incredible. Uh, he's an offensive lineman on on the you know cusp of the making the roster. And so, but it's been fun. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, House of the Dragon episode one was amazing. So I'm looking forward to that tomorrow night. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. Like I said, we're getting closer and closer to the new school year. Labor Day is next weekend already. And then we'll be back into the swing of things with the fall season and summer's pretty much over. So uh, it kind of sucks, but at the same time, it's good because football is coming back, fantasy, all that good stuff. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm going to wrap this episode up. Hopefully I didn't go through things too quickly or too fast and you're able to, uh, you know, retain all that information that I just gave you. But I'm probably going to go wrap this episode up, edit it, throw it up, and then go watch the rest of this Nebraska and Northwestern game, see what those two teams are about. Um, and yeah, just chill, relax, enjoy the rest of my day, play some Madden, maybe play some uh, MLB The Show. Um, if anybody in my league wants to stop dodging me um, then I and I could get a game, I will gladly play anybody. So with that being said, guys, I will see everybody in two weeks. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. In, enjoy football. Enjoy the NFL season. And good luck if you're drafting uh, your fantasy teams in the next couple of days or, or the next week or so as I am. That's all I've got. This is the Pody signing out. I'll see everybody in two weeks.